Howdy, my friend. It is the Paul Leslie Hour. You're here. Mm, I'm here. Uh, Paul Leslie's here. Oh, there's got to be something else. I see no reason not to get this introduction of the Benford Stanley episode going. That's our extra person here, our very extra special person, Benford Stanley, also known as Buffalo Stanley. He's the producer of the Paso Digital Film Festival and the filmmaker of documentaries like Jimmy Rogers' Saga. Uh Uh-huh. Needless to say, he's got a lot of stories to tell. Paul and Benford got along just fine, as you're about to hear in this interview. Hey, speaking of getting along just fine, we can't get along just fine without you, the listener. Uh Uh-huh. The Paul Leslie Hour has continued through the years, not only with elbow grease and talent, energy, but a whole lot of love. And this show's been helped along by your love. You're part of this outfit, so check it out www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. You'll know what to do when you get there, and we thank you in advance. All right, we've got me, we got Paul, we got you, and we've got Benford Stanley. Here's a guy who clearly believes if you can dream it, you can do it. So let's hand things over to Paul and special guest Benford Stanley. Our special guest is Benford Stanley. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Who is Benford Stanley? Well, he's a grandfather of four little granddaughters, and I'm a father of four. And I'm a single dad of two teenagers, so that that's a, a lot who I am. And in fact, my son asked me the other day. He said, "Dad, what do you do?" And I told him I'm a carny, and I've I've been a promoter producer for since Moby Dick was a mena for about 47 years. I'll quote Willie Nelson. I, I live my dreams. Willie Nelson says, "My dreams are dreaming me." So I'm just living some dreams that I've had in the entertainment business and just going in through in and out of the film documentary world and out of the music business and now into producing some film festivals. So I've worn quite a few hats. I think most stories are best from the beginning. What was life like growing up? Well, I I grew up in uh, near Fort Worth, Dallas in Texas and lived on ranches. And I was a cowboy. I, I was hauling hay and feeding cattle while I was going to high school playing football. And then that was kind of my beginning in the entertainment business. I got a set of drums and started playing drums. And I rodeoed. I rode bulls in high school and played football. And that was kind of the beginning of my showmanship, I guess you'd say, going to rodeos and and then went on into college and kept rodeoing for a while and had a back in the 60s I had a country rock band that back then and I lived I was going to school in West Texas and if you couldn't play George I mean it was the 60s so we wanted to do the Doors and Steppenwolf you know what I mean we wanted to play the Beatles and but out in West Texas you couldn't play Merle Haggard and Buck Owens you're gonna get your butt whipped so I kind of learned then to go into different realms of music and so I had my mother played guitar, and that was kind of, too, I think I had it in my blood just for years and years of hearing her sing. And 
that was, I think, what some of my passion for music started then, and just it's carried on the rest of my life. Who were your all-time favorite musicians? Well, you know, going through a couple different genres of music, I was a big fan, and more than Elvis, of Buddy Holly. And Buddy had a, more of an influence. He was, you know, from Texas back in the that when I was kind of, you know, a teenager and started really listening to music. Of course, I watched the Ozzy and Harriet show and see Ricky Nelson. And that was, I couldn't wait to wait to the end of the show because every night he would play. So he, seeing him on TV and then hearing Buddy Holly and being from West Texas where Buddy Holly was from, and that, that began to, you know, just really influence me. And, and living in Texas, of course, you grow up here in Merle Haggard and, Waylon and a little bit later on, you know, the outlaw movement started. I moved to Austin in 1970, and that was about the time that country rock, progressive country, outlaw country, you know, it was that time Willie moved to town. And so that was a lot of my influences came out of being in the country music world. But I lived the 60s and couldn't help but, you know, and there again, kind of Texas stuff, the Eagles. Then Don Henley was a Dallas boy, so... There's a real connection to him and the Eagles, to those folks that knew him. When did you start to think that your profession was going to be the entertainment business? In college, I got a degree in economics while I was doing the 60s and had my band. And then it got to be 1970, and I, I moved to Austin. And, well, I, I realized at one point that I didn't want to be the drummer in the band because the guitar players would jump off the stage and take the last girls left in the bar. And I'm still, I had all these drums to pack up. And I thought, yeah, I thought wait a minute. I, you know, I saw it way down the road. It's going to be a long time till I had a roadie. You know what I mean? So I said, you know what? I don't think I want to be the drummer in the band. And because I had a degree in economics and I was hanging out in Austin, and I knew Gary P. Nunn, who wrote I Want to Go Home to Armadillas, which was the Austin City Limits soundtrack, and Michael Murphy, Jerry Jeff Walker had just moved to town. And musicians are kind of business, entertainment business, show business. You know what I mean? <laughs> the music business. Well, most entertainers, they hate business. They could care less. And I had a little bit of a knack for it, having a degree in economics. So I started getting more involved in the business end and promoting and managing, helping, you know, artists produce albums. And then and pretty much just stayed in that realm and had really been a musician, but I work with them and it's been my life, really. What brought you out to California? Well, like Kermit the Frog, I wanted to do Hollywood. And just literally, uh, I'd been, well, long story short, I was a chili head. I was into chili and produced the World Chili Cook-Off. And I was and sitting around backstage at a Whalen Jennings uh, roundup, and there was the Sons of the Pioneers and Bob Will's Old Texas Playboys. And I was sitting and listening to those old boys talk, and I thought, oh, my gosh. You guys started it all. So I just started researching history of music and ran across a character named Jimmy Rogers. And some people may know him as the singing brakeman or the blue yodeler. He's also known as the father of country music. And he was, he literally, he had tuberculosis. He died at, he was 36 years old 
on his plaque at the Country Music Hall of Fame, it says, the man that started it all. And so I just started digging more. My mother used to sing Jimmy Rogers' song. I worked on the railroad in the summers in high school, so grew up on the railroad. His dad was a railroadman. So I just I kept finding out more and more about the He's the only entertainer. He's in the Country Hall of Fame, the Rock Hall of Fame, the Grammy Hall of Fame, and the Songwriter Hall of Fame. And only two white men have received the W.C. Handy Blues Award. Jimmy Rogers, and uh, he was... Pretty well, in fact, on his plaque there at the Country Music Hall of Fame, he, where he was inducted, he was the first inductee with Hank Williams Jr. into the Country Hall of Fame. I discovered that the story was just a movie. And I, I was working on a documentary because I found out no one had ever done a documentary on it. And so I said, well, oh, my gosh. And back then, if you didn't go to Hollywood to make your movie, it wasn't going to happen. You know what I mean? <laughs> Before the digital age, if you wanted to make a film, you couldn't go to Austin or Nashville or New York. You had to go to Hollywood. I headed for L.A. I had these ideas. I've been doing all this research. It was a great American story. Along the way, I'd met uh, Rex Allen, old cowboy, and Eddie Dean, and just doing research on Jimmy Rogers. So the story just got bigger and bigger, and I felt like – and I, I was interviewing some of these old boys – including Les Paul and Buck Page, the original writers of the Purple Sage. He formed the band back in 1936. And these are the guys that influenced the guys now. These are, those were the guys that influenced Merle Haggard, Willie, and Christopherson and those. And when I discovered that there weren't any documentaries or nobody was filming or taping these guys, I just thought, this is important stuff. I think I'll do it. So I just headed for California. Literally. In a camper. I lived in a camper on Venice Beach for a while. <laughs> and, of course, I get out to Hollywood, and nobody even knows who Jimmy Rogers is. It's like, what are you, what are you talking, who is this, you know? So it, it, And then you got to pay your dues out there. You don't just pull into Hollywood and get a deal, I'll guarantee you that. It seems like Jimmy Rogers has played a big part in your story. Yeah, well, in fact, uh, seeing how many people were influenced by him, and all the accolades and what he lived, and and all the way to literally passing that music down. Les Paul told me, who you know invented the electric guitar, Les, and and sound on sound recording. He told me that's why he was inspired himself to invent reverb and echo was because of the influence he wanted to emulate Jimmy Rogers, and he had heard Jimmy sing in a studio. And he wanted to sing like Jimmy, and he ended up literally uh, inventing echo and reverb. And so uh, that chain of influence that a guy, that this guy would pass, and, and you can to this day ask Merle Haggard, Merle, well, that was his greatest influence in music was Jimmy Rogers. And then to see that he also influenced Les Paul, who's, Janis Joplin was influenced by him. So that, such a well, there again, it's plaque the Country Music Hall of Fame. It says the man that started it all. He was the first superstar, and I just felt like you know this is major story, and it became an obsession and a passion to tell this story, and to, and not just a, it wasn't you know you got to go. I didn't just want it to be my story, so I, I've interviewed Aaron Neville and Dickie Betts from the Allman Brothers and Merle Haggard and 
when Bob Dylan had done a tribute CD on to Jimmy Rogers, I interviewed uh, Christopherson and just you know wanted to get the story from the folks that were influenced by him, and I've in court I've interviewed a couple of people who knew Jimmy Rogers. We're talking with filmmaker Benford Stanley. Another one of your projects is the Paso Robles Digital Film Festival. Tell us about that. Well, working on the documentaries, and, and I got sidetracked on a project with Eric Clapton that I did a project called Pioneer Troubadours, where I got some of these old timers that I knew, because uh, working on the Jimmy Rogers thing, the Clapton people knew knew these old guys. And Clapton did this big event. He wanted these old guys to come to his show, so I rounded them up. And I had a project that I wanted to, that I'd shot, and I wanted to get it into film festivals. So I've been working on getting my stuff into film festivals. In 1998, I put up a website called studioclub.com. And I was kind of just covering Hollywood and seeing just what was going on in the digital age. I was involved in webcasting back in the early days. And so I was, you know, just being and being an independent filmmaker, I was more interested in film festivals than I was really in, you know, big premieres in Hollywood or big blockbuster movies and documentaries. That's where you go with them, the film festival. So I started dreaming up the idea to produce a film festival. And just out of moving to a town that I thought would be a good place to do it, here where I live now in Paso Robles, we're in central California. We're halfway between Los Angeles and San Francisco. And north of us, three hours, is Silicon Valley, where more millionaires and billionaires you can shake a stick at. You know, and they said, in fact, with Facebook going public probably later this month, it's going to create 1,000 millionaires. And I've heard the figure as high as 100 billionaires will be created from the Facebook IPO. That's just right up the road, three hours from us, where Google and Avid and 70% of the technology in America is right there in South San Francisco. So south of us from here is Hollywood. And we're in an interesting old cowboy town with hot springs. And we've got 300 wineries here. It's like the new Napa Valley, you know what I mean? The new Sonoma, it's the new wine region of California. And I so, wow, this would be a really interesting place because it's really pretty and there's hot springs and wine everywhere you look. This would be an interesting place. Bring these two entities together. Bring the Hollywood, the movie star crowd, and then work on getting the technology crowd, the te- you know, from Silicon Valley. And we meet up here. Telluride's in the mountains of Colorado. Sundance is off in the mountains of Utah. You know, so I thought, well, hell, I'm, you know, you don't have to do it right in L.A. And, in fact, it's kind of fun to get away and out of the cities, you know. And, of course, there's Atlanta and Phoenix, all, every major city. There's 5,000 film festivals and probably 3,500 of them are in the United States. So that film festivals, and they were an integral part of the movie business because it's kind of like starting in the mailroom. You know what I mean? You gotta, you get your film out. After you finally get a film out, you gotta do a film festival. That's where you go show it and network it and learn more about what do you do with this film now or maybe meet, that's where you go to meet a distributor to make a deal on your film. 
So film festivals became interesting to me that I'd been to enough of them and studied enough that, and that's what I, I'm a promoter. I'd already, by that time, I'd already done shows with Waylon and Emmy Lou Harris and Hoyt Action and I'd produce Wild West shows and rodeos. <laughs> so I'd been a promoter already for 30 years. And so it really fit. It wasn't also out of the box for me to think I could pull off a film festival. Cause I'd, you know, like say I've done three day Wild West shows. So I just started to read every book I could about film festivals and just created a film festival. Got on the phone, started, and I'm bragging now, but I had Clint Eastwood came to my first film festival. Incredible. Yeah. And Kevin Bacon. Now here's, I got to tell you a secret on getting Kevin Bacon. I couldn't. You can't afford Kevin as an actor, you know what I mean? He's an expensive guy, but he's got a band, the Bacon Brothers, and they're, oh, they're fabulous, and we wanted music to be part of the festival, so I booked Kevin's band to come and play the film festival. It's kind of like I had Gary Busey. Well, you know, Gary played Buddy Holly in the Buddy Holly story. See what I mean? So he came as an actor, but then we had him perform because he loves playing the guitar and so I kind of a blended music, and we show documentaries like the first year. We, back Clint Eastwood, we showed his music documentaries. He's been had just released a documentary on Tony Bennett, and a lot of people don't know that Mr. Eastwood, he composes a lot of the music to his to his movies and plays piano on them. He's a he and his son. Kyle Eastwood, they're composers, and they work with the sound and putting the soundtracks together. So. We honored Clint, and by showing his music documentaries, a side of him a lot of people don't know about. Your first film festival. How did it go? Was it chaotic? Was it smooth sailing? Well, it, here, one thing I've learned, it, it, it was chaotic in the sense, Willie Nelson says producing's like getting nibbled to death by ducks. So there... there <laughs> There is that element of, well, in fact, I was talking about what I was doing on the festival a while back, and a friend, he likened it to building an airplane while you're flying it. You definitely have to know how to juggle, you know. You've got so, and, and a film festival, and then I didn't know, I kind of went a little bit overboard. I thought festival, so we had, you know, I didn't want to just have one thing going on. you got to have a lot going on. So we had the music going on. We had Literally, we had, you know, several films going on at the same time. We had a 3D, one of the first ever 3D festival at one day that we had, right, that was before Avatar, the big 3D explosion. I brought some people up from L.A. So it's it's like in an event like that, you know, these con- these shows where you go and they got three stages. They're like when I yeah. produced a Wild, I did a Wild West show once and we had to have all the, Buck and bulls and the animals and the horses and the stage coaches. And then we had to deal with on the stage and we had the bands and the sound equipment and the lighting for music, you know. So they're, they're, behind the scenes, it's definitely chaotic. But you've got professionals. That's the thing I love about the business. You bring, you know, it's kind of like a big concert you go to, all that staging and the lighting and the sound and the, the catering and the, you know, and as a producer, that's what you do. You bring all these people together, and you rely then on all those folks to be professionals and do what they do. And you know, and then you, as a producer, just run around touching bases and going crazy. All <laughs> I miss the whole festival. Luckily, I film my festival so I can see them after they're over. You've mentioned a lot about the music 
at this Paso Robles Digital Film Festival. Tell us about the music, or maybe if you could name the favorite musical act of yours. Well, what I do is, too, the, like when I mentioned Gary Busey, we showed the Buddy Holly story. We actually screened it, and I had Gary Busey here because he was in the Academy, nominated for Academy Award for playing Buddy Holly in the movie that we were screening. But what I did, I brought Sonny Curtis, and Sonny was in the crickets and played for Buddy Holly, with Buddy. Buddy, they were high school friends. And and then we, I did documentary on Ramblin' Jack Elliott, you know, ran yeah. with Woody Guthrie influence. Well, I showed his daughter's documentary on Ramblin' Jack, and I had Ramblin' Jack here Amazing. to be a guest and showed the movie. So when we even showed, uh, like I had the Martin Scorsese documentary, No Direction Home, the Bob Dylan documentary. Well, he did that. The producer of that was Nigel Sinclair, Sir Nigel Sinclair, if I may. He's from Britain, and he he did the great documentary on The Who and was producer on this. So we've, we've showed the Bob Dylan documentary, and I had Nigel Sinclair here, like, to do the question and answers. So you have the music, and, and the idea is to bring in people involved in the music world like the the Dave Somerville there's uh if you remember the diamonds little darling why 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 and why do fools fall in love so we did a, a film on the era of bebop back in the days of the diamonds and the four preps and Frankie Avalon and and we showed the documentary Chris Montez, who was touring, opening for the Beatles in Europe. We wrote the song, Let's, Let's Dance. Da, 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 da. So having those kind of historical characters here with film, with their films or with their documentaries or with them being here where it's about an era that they lived in. So it had, you know, it like adds and then interact not just with the filmmakers but with people who are either you know these famous movies or documentaries were made up then we had uh like when ramblin jack was here i was showing a movie the pbr the pro bull riding association they had done a documentary and i had all these champion world champion bull riders here and a lot of people might not know who bernie talpin is but then if you're an elton john fan you know he wrote many of the great hits and was partners with elton john forever well bernie talpin raises rodeo bulls now <laughs> oh yeah so we showed this documentary and these all these bull riders that came and here comes bernie talpin i didn't know he was even coming and he shows up and here, you know, I mean, the guy that's just, you know, legendary songwriter with Elton John. And then he meets Ramblin' Jack Elliott, and they just become buddies, start working on projects together. So, you know, they, you get that at the festival. We blend such an interesting group of people, because a lot of film festivals, there'll be only one mu- one film star there. And I usually we have nine or 15. And then wow. by bringing music in, you know, you know, South by Southwest in Austin? Yeah. I was involved in some very early meetings when that was being created in Austin. And it started as a music festival. And it was because, and why the meetings even started, Austin, which I'm sure you know some of that scene there. You probably interviewed people out of there. But Austin scene, it was, there's music everywhere. Like I was saying before, 
which music business. Austin had this incredible music scene, but there was no accountants. There wasn't any lawyers and entertainment lawyers. There wasn't any record companies in town. There wasn't any, so it's just music. Everybody having fun, but nobody's getting anywhere. You can't get there from here if somebody wrote a song. You kind of had to go to Nashville. And so the idea was to start a music festival conference where you got together business people and the Austin Chamber and to have them realize, hey, this is big business, the music business. This can be good for all. And out of that began, to, you know, it started as a music festival. And then some years back, they brought in and added four days of the music festival. They made a film festival. Then shortly after that, they brought in two days to be an Internet festival. So just, what, last week they had all South by Southwest and brought in 200,000 people to town. The word is it was an income that grossed $170 million brought into Austin from the results of the fe- of that festival there. So knowing that and being part of all that in the Austin scene, I wanted to bring that into my film. You know, a lot of these music producers, music directors, the videos, they don't really, if they're, if they're not, it's well, all there is is CMT. The CM, the Country Music Academy of Country Music Awards, you know, MTV, they do the MTV Music Awards, and that's about it. So all these music directors and producers, and you know, these great videos done, and they spend, I was on the lot at Paramount Studios here a while back, all right, and I saw this soundstage, and it's like, oh, my God, what's going on here? And there was trucks and catering wagons and lumber and stuff going, and they were building this monstrous set for And I went, oh, my God, what movie is this? And I asked some one of the guys standing there, I said, what movie? What are y'all shooting here? You know what he said? He said, a Carrie Underwood video. <laughs> they were probably spending $400,000 that day to shoot video. <laughs> and... I felt like that we wanted to, and what we do, we have, we honor these guys that do these great music videos that really don't ever get to have any fun or honored or nobody knows who they are. Yeah. So that, and then that, like, it does, just music just adds a lot of fun to the film festival. And a lot of film festivals are, we show some, we get into, I've got a day where we, on the state and fate of children, and we show really some sad about child abuse and runaways and autism and, but other than that, it's a lot of music. We don't, we're not dealing with starvation in India or nuclear reactors or plastics in our food or, you know, we kind of keep it more music history and it's just a lighter, more fun feeling festival that way. And then we always have one day where we do the stuff for kids, show films uh, on dealing with children in America and problems they're having. What is in the future of the Paso Robles Digital Film Festival. Well, the, what what I mentioned to you earlier that it's the fifth year of the Paso, but I dreamed up the idea, and part of my just love is going on the road a little bit with moving. And our festivals, like the area I mentioned we're in, just up the road from us, is Silicon Valley. And I was realizing that they we're on a cutting edge. If you Google right now, or anybody listen to this, Google digital. Film fest, and we come up number one. And I felt like I want to. I need. I need to take this on the road, not just sit here in this little town and once a year do a festival, because it's now the digital age. This is a great time, an exciting time. And I thought, well, why not just take it right to Silicon Valley? I'll take Hollywood to the geeks and the nerds and the billionaires. <laughs> and, and, 
that's, you know, like I say, oh, my God, there's 400 venture capital firms in Silicon Valley. Plus, just, I mean, you can't even the list. There's, there's 500 high-tech firms there. So Facebook, uh, four miles away from Facebook is Google and YouTube and Sun Microsystems and Dell Computer and Avid and Adobe. And so it's just such a, for me, easy to do, too. Take it up there. There's beautiful facilities there. And people understand they, it, and no one's done it. It's time. You know, it's getting ready. Like I say, we're, we're in the digital age now. And the convergence that's happening is that now we have all this technology. We have all these players and laptops and iPads and the iPhones, and we've got all these routers and high-def cameras and high-def TV screens, and we got projectors that will show on the side of buildings, and we've got the Internet. What are we going to do with all that? We've got to show stuff. Bill Gates says content is king, all right? Yeah. So what a film festival is all about is content, films, filmmakers. These are the guys that make the content. So I felt like in that that this is the emergence that's happening now. It's all technologies merging with music. Apple, Steve Jobs did it with iTunes, you know. And all of a sudden, where's Hollywood? Where what? Where's Hollywood Video and Blockbuster now? You know what I mean? It's Netflix. So it's in fact the year Clint Eastwood came here. Clint released the documentary he did on Tony Bennett. He released it direct to Netflix. He didn't even go to theaters with it. Went straight to Netflix. I felt like the idea would be just to go to help move this along. I feel I love the cutting edge. I don't. We're kind of saying we we don't want to be on the cutting edge. We want to be the sword itself. And so I just dreamed up the idea and got on the phone. And everybody in Silicon Valley I talked to about the idea says, "Well, come on up. Heck yeah, it sounds great." <laughs> and they got so much money they don't know what to do. You know, I was like, oh, shoot. Let's go up and partner up some. We, you know, go. Let's go where the money is. <laughs> That's another thing. That's where the money is in technology. You know, it's like what else are you going to do in, a, in this economy now we're in, huh? <laughs> we're talking with the founder of the Paso Robles Digital Film Festival, Benford Stanley. Who are you maybe working on getting to appear at one of the festivals, or who is a dream for you to have at this festival? Oh, good. I'll tell you right now, my dream is to get, and I'd like to have the two of them together, is Jeff Bridges and Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall, I mean, I've had Clint Eastwood, so it's kind of hard. Where do you go from there? You know what I mean? You know, <laughs> yeah, where do you go? Because even back when I was, after I had Clint here, and even when it came to be my second film festival, I mean, how do you beat Clint Eastwood? And I'd ask folks, I'd say, hey, who's bigger and who's, how do you beat Clint Eastwood? And the folks just look at me and go, huh. Well, no, you can't. That's it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, to like, I think, well, then I'll get Robert Duvall and Jeff Bridges. That'll maybe that'll trump just Clint Eastwood. And then Robert Duvall's just, I mean, I love Lonesome Dove, and he's like Clint Eastwood, a total integrity. He has a project called OpenFilm.com that he and James Kahn are in. They're investors and advisors of this new premier movie film site. And we've got a channel on his this site. So it kind of shows here, here's a Robert Duvall out on the forefront of digital technology with a digital movie site for online movies. And so he fits the whole, and you know, and it'd be very befitting. We've already sent a letter. I just hadn't 
been able to schedule it or make it happen yet. I'm working on the dream to have him here. Did you see Crazy Heart? I sure did. Well, that you know, he was, he produced that, and Jeff Bridges now has a band. He's got an album out, and then I knew Ryan Bingham, who wrote that song. Ryan Bing, boy, you ought to get Ryan Bingham in sometime, do an interview with him. But he wrote that lead song, and T-Bone Burnett produced it. So I'd love to get those to get. I'm trying to book. That's I'm, I'm working on my dream. I'm trying to book Jeff Bridges' band and then invite Robert Duvall to come and talk to people about his open film his network, his internet network channel, and to be able to honor him with a Lifetime Achievement Award. What about any other dreams you're working on? Well, uh, we talked about Jimmy Rogers thing a little. I'm still I'm in post-production and going through the process of finishing that. And that'll be a 14-year dream, literally, that I've worked on. And, and incredible, and a lot of, like, the people I've interviewed have passed away and Les Paul. And, but I've got a project that I was born from, and I mentioned this earlier, from uh, the work I did with Eric Clapton. We put together a, this show, and I dreamed up a project called Pioneer Troubadours. And I want to create a reality series that weekly we go out on the road with a legend, be it Merle Haggard or Jackson Brown or Bonnie Raitt or any of those road warriors, the guys that have been like Steve Miller, the Steve Miller band, or what we do, we go just really all we got to do is spend a day. Well, let me back up a little where some of this was also born was I went on tour. I was working with Merle Haggard on Merle's documentary mm-hmm. for about two years, and I was working with Dylan and Merle on my Jimmy Rogers project. I've got them both involved. And then it ended up one day, Bob Dylan called Merle Haggard and asked him to go on tour with him. And I'll, let me tell you a little more of the story. Merle said, Merle, and Merle tells me this later, Bob calls him and said, said Merle, I want you to go on tour and open for me. And the idea, they're going to do two months on the road. And they're going to do all the way from Seattle, Portland, to Oakland, to L.A., Denver, to Chicago, Detroit, literally all up to Atlanta, up to New York, and ended five days at the Beacon Theater in New York. There was this incredible tour. Well, Merle told Dylan no. And the story is that Merle, and this is what Merle tells me, he said, well, heck, you want to do it in the winter time? What do I want to get out on the road like that in the winter time? And he said, and then he said, and, and I don't open for many people, maybe Willie, and then he said, well, and then the money wasn't right. Yeah, I didn't need the money. And so he told him no. And then he told his ranch hand, after he told Dylan no, he said, go in town and get me some Dylan CDs. <laughs> and he ran into this this ranch hand, goes in town, gets him three CDs, brings them back. Merle listens to him, picks up the phone, calls Frank Mull, his manager. Frank's kind of Merle's man, takes care of him. And he said, Call the Dylan guys. Tell Dylan I'll do the tour. That little son of a bitch is a genius. <laughs> he, just, he just discovered Bob Dylan. He knew who he was, but he didn't quite, you know, until he just sit. Merle doesn't just sit around listening to other people's CDs. He may listen to Hank Williams or Bob Wills or something, but he's not a, he fishes and writes his own music. He doesn't sit around and listen. So you could just see how 
sitting yeah. and listening to Dylan, he realized, and they went out on a, we did it, I got to be the only camera, digital movie and film camera allowed on the tour. Amazing. Oh, God, it was. Uh, you know, it's like, how did I get here? And after two months on the road, and what I saw, Paul, was, you, you know, from these shows, the production, I mean, we had seven buses. Merle, Dylan had four buses, and we had three. And there were three 18-wheeler trucks and a merchandise truck. And they'd pull in 11 in the morning, and they got to unload all that equipment and the sound systems and get it up all before sound check. And then they'd sound check. And they wait on catering, and then they sit on their buses, and then they do the show. And they load all that stuff up, and they got to hit the road because they got to do it again the next morning in the next town. Because you just can't hang around when you're out on the road. You don't hang around hotels. You got to get down the town to the next show, and you got to go at least 400 miles because you can't do a concert within 300 miles. You don't see what you know what I mean? Because then you'd be conflicting with the audiences. Show these guys have got to travel usually 400 miles a night. So. So here I am on one of Merle's buses, and I'm watching this thing go down the road with him. And as a filmmaker and filming it, I thought, oh, my God, talk about reality. And you've seen these systems, these guys, and they fly the sound and the lights and the cord, what it takes to load those 18-wheelers and to unload them and go on the road. And I thought, and no, see, nobody gets to see that. You Maybe you can see backstage but that, and then on the bus. And then that's the best time, and you know this, in interviewing people, you got to find the downtime for them. The famous people, and two, you can't bother them or if they're busy or they're shooting or whatever, but the best downtime, that's when Merle or Steve Miller or Jackson Brown or anybody like that, they're just hanging out on the bus all day, waiting on the, waiting on the band to set up and the equipment. Then they were sitting around waiting on Kate. They're in the, either in a hotel room or sitting on a bus all day, every day, out on the road. So it's the best time in the world to get to them to do interviews with them. So that's kind of the dream project right now. And then weekly, and then for me, what I want to do is be able to, and you know, I didn't mention Kenny Chesney. You know, I want to go out with just legends. Some of the old boys from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, you know, the Eagles. And you remember Pure Prairie League and New Riders of the Purple Sage, you know, the Leonard Skinner guys. So it'd be a reality TV series, and then that would allow me to get out and have a budget to get some of these great stories. Because that's what I'm finding is these great stories, not of just these old cowboys aren't getting told, but nobody's even telling the stories of these younger Road warriors and legends. So that, that's, that's to answer that question. That's that's the dream, really, to finish that project and get it and get it sold and start filming it. <laughs> what is the best thing about being Benford Stanley? Well, raising four great kids, watching them grow, and I got my older son got a baseball scholarship and built his own house, and my daughter they give me. I got four great granddaughters, and I'm a single dad raising two teens and just watching these two teams my son's on the wrestling team i'm homeschooling my daughter myself which is a trip god you know i go online and i ask parents like you know i need to write or find a book you know because raising two teenagers yeah you know and so that that's just the joy of my life right now and this look i'm writing a book on all just my experiences so my memories now going back and seeing the stuff and footage from les paul and 
myself remembering these great men that I've got to meet and know and talk to and look at the pictures I took of them, you know, that, that really, you know, looking back at my life as I work on these projects is just a great joy. What would you say to anyone listening in? Well, support the, your, you know, your filmmaker, your documentary filmmakers, I'd say, being one myself too. Go support them and seek those out because those are, it's a lot, it's very important to support the filmmakers and see because of the work that it takes to get these done. And to, to, by people going online and now buying them through iTunes or download them or go on to Facebook and see that, look at, you know, history and help preserve it. If there, anybody's involved in film right now, there's just a lot of ways that you can actually become a filmmaker right now and go online to just tell people to, you know, I love inspiring movie makers to, to go out and just make your film, make a, do, do that. And, and then just on a personal note, I'd love to drive some interest if anyone has to go check out our film festival site. I'm going to give you the one for the digital festival because the Paso is on it, but it's digitalmediafestival.com. And there you can see these festivals. And also we're creating, we film the film festivals. And so we're creating an online experience. So if you can't even come here to California to attend the festival, you can go on the website and we'll be streaming live from the film festival. So it gives you the chance to actually have the experience of a film festival and not actually and, and not go there and you'll be able to interact on facebook and do emails and skype we're going to do where you can skype back into the film festival by just going to those websites the world gets smaller and smaller boy it is well look what you're doing too i mean it's great to be able to you and i are on the other sides of the, the country and can connect and you can tell, spread the stories now electronically which you know for you to get these stories and to do it on our own. We don't have to wait on Hollywood to give you a deal. You know, you can literally, that keeps so much. And that's what, for me, is as exciting about this digital age is the discovery. And just the fact you and I could meet and, and that then you can got an audience to tell these stories that really it's a, a revolution, really. I mean, it, it's why Hollywood's going down. It's why all the TV stations, we're, we kind of now the, we're back in, you know, it's a little more democratic too, because we can all follow our dreams and not have to let the big boys tell us what we do. That's right. Well, sir, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Well, thank you. Good talking with you anytime. Good luck to your. Keep up the good work. I went through your site and listened to some of your interviews, and that's really good work. Good eclectic spread of interest you have. It's great. Most appreciated. Till next time. All right. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, The Entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. 
and we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.